welcome back to the Chemist Confessions podcast, a human conversation about all things skincare. I'm Gloria. I'm Victoria. And in the last episode, we talked about a slightly new format to our podcast. Um, so this one is going to be a meats episode. All uh, the meats. All the meats. Uh, what are we talking about today, Victoria? <laughs> yeah, so I think you guys might have heard us rant a little bit about botanicals and maybe some retinol replacement claims. Yeah, this means all about that. Um, it's time to do a botanicals update for the year. And um, I guess before we get into that, how about some nice words? Yep. Uh, so first up, we have a review on the double play. The title is Hello Bright Eyes. <laughs> and this person says, my under eye area is brighter. I've struggled with darkness under my eyes for as long as I can remember. And this stuff works. Yes. Nice, short, sweet, to the point. Um, we love it. Uh, it. Dark circles is one of the most painful and difficult problems you can deal with. Mm -hmm. um, so when we uh, created this product, obviously it has 0.3% retinol to help tackle general wrinkles and some dark, uh, some hyperpigmentation. But we also made a point to include haloxyl peptides that's been tested specifically for under eye dark circles. So really glad that you're able to find success with double play. And yeah, next. All right. So we finally got our first review <gasps> on the new Mr. Reliable. I'll be honest, we were a little bit worried because there is definitely a cohort that are very loyal to the original formula. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> this review is titled, Buy Me. <laughs> um, so uh, Catherine writes, I've been searching for my Mr. Right, which by the way, I really love that you guys have personified Mr. Reliable to the max. I love it. This is amazing. <laughs> and it makes these naming parties way more fun. Um, so I've been searching for my Mr. Right, search over i finally found a luxurious do-it-all moisturizer the smell is so good which and it's giving me high-end spa vibes i would buy this scent in a candle never thought about it but we'll think we'll look into it <laughs> these chemists do not disappoint um and she's very kind to share her routine she has a normal skin type um she her top skin concerns are skin congestion and acne and in terms of her routine she wash she just writes wash which is important aquafix mr reliable and versed mineral sunscreen so yay thanks Catherine. yeah thank you guys so much we were very anxious launching this we love the formula yeah. but you know curious to hear everyone's thoughts and um, as we mentioned in the previous episode, we want to thank all the podcast listeners for your patience waiting for us to come out with a new season this year. So please use the coupon code CCPODCAST2023 for 15% off your order um, if you would like to try Mr. Reliable or anything else from our offering. Yeah, and I did want to add a little note about Mr. Reliable. Yes, Mr. Reliable is fragranced in that we had to include a hint of mm -hmm. essential oil um the reason being that 
let's just say all of the actives combined um, gave the base a bit of a funk by the end of its shelf life. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the active level. Um, it's just the nature of some of our actives mm -hmm. that we loved and think that the benefits totally outweigh the smell. So that's why it's just been dosed with um, non-sensitizing, non-photosensitizing um, essential oils that we've selected. Um, so did want to just give that as a side note. Yes, and it is at a lower level than the OG Mr. Reliable. Yeah. That was one of the feedbacks we got about wishing that um, love the scent, but want to tamper it down just a little bit for everyone. Yeah, so, so yeah. please keep that feedback coming. We are very proud of all of our reviews. Um, on each of our product pages. We do not pay for any of them. And also a lot of them are kind enough to share their routine. So hopefully that will give you an even clearer picture of how our products can work for your skin type. But otherwise, let's go into the meat. All right. <clears throat> so to start, one more one last trend article for the year. <laughs> They're like, please, no more. We don't care. You taught us to not care. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this uh, trend list comes from Who What Where, um, and the title is Seven Skincare Ingredients That Will Completely Define 2023. Bold claim. Um, number one, colostrum. And you guys might be like, colosta who? And yeah, that's right. Uh, it's basically, um, uh, let's just say uh, the scientific definition is the first um, production of milk that a pregnant or I guess a female mammal produces post labor. Yeah. Delicious. Okay. Yeah. Wait, how are they collecting? I, I Yeah, so um I when I saw that, I had to do a Google and there are products out there that do have colostrum in the inking list. Um, it looks like it comes from the food and supplement industry. Of course. And they are, it sounds like it is coming from dairy milk. Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they seem to really like this is because it is known that, um, it's very nutritious mm -hmm. and there's a lot of growth factors in there uh. that they're hoping to capitalize. We'll just say it is a scarce thing in the skincare industry. Mm. Very little science. And in this scenario, if you are thinking about growth factors, you can just consider regular growth factors. Cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. So after that, um, we've got linoleic acid. I... You know, I think that's great. <laughs> so we have it in our better oil, mm -hmm. uh, really uh, important part of your barrier care. Mm -hmm. Cool that's recatching wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll take it. Sick. <laughs> All right. Algae. Oh, we're still trying to make algae happen, <laughs> are we? I, I will say this is something I will get into a little bit more in the core of the meat. Yeah. But algae, all the plant stuff can be summed up as they're not created equal mm. and it is incredibly hard for a consumer to decode and understand if their version of algae is legit yeah uh number four blue tansy sick <laughs> <laughs> number five kombucha are we still trying to make that happen again this doesn't really feel like 2023 mm. feels like 2020 yeah <laughs> all right number six shrooms i love the who what where writer was i straight up like you know what shrooms <laughs> number seven sea fennel 
Yes, I've actually seen a lot of sea fennel popping up. Um, and yeah, that that should sum up that botanicals or planty stuff, nature-based ingredients are still very, very, very relevant. So um, I figure we should make the meat of this episode be a little bit of a review of why botanical is really difficult for us to talk about and what are some things you should keep in mind when you're shopping for these quote-unquote botanical superstars. Mm-hmm. First things first, peed after us, plants are super complex. Um, the active components of a plant extract is not necessarily... Um, the, the most active component of a plant form is part of the extract. So when you get... Um, when you get a plant extract that's rich in vitamin C, how much vitamin C are you talking about? Not sure. And when you have Probably something- Probably not the most. Yes. So when you have Centella Asiatica extract, you don't know what the active component is. And we'll tell you, it's metacasticide, asiaticaside, asiatic acid. Those are some of the active components or skin active components, I should say, of Centella extract. Yeah. How much are you getting in your Centella extract? The other thing I, I did want to say, too, is um, a lot of these centella extracts are generally pressed waters. Um, mm-hmm. And the distillation process can vary, very, um, very, very, very wildly. <laughs> and um. so I think um, it's it's really hard, especially for us, to really know in a formula, if we look at a product, point blank, to know exactly how much of that is truly beneficial mm-hmm. or it's just like a pressed juice. Um, and I think that's where, that's why we really struggle with the general botanical category. Yeah. And just to give you guys a few more examples, uh, we just wrote a whole article on psilomerin. Yeah. It's the inky is listed psilomerianum extract. Um, but the active form of it is psilomerin and, or, and sometimes psilobin. And we, the, ever so popular tea extract stuff, one of the core active components is EGCG, epigalactocatechin gallate. Um, sometimes I'll be Good listed. Good job, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes you'll see it listed as such, but EGCG is also very unstable. So I guess all these examples, you're probably feeling very overwhelmed, like, what are we supposed to do with that info? And it's really all set up for me to toot the chemist horn just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the other thing is like EGCG is actually not the only isolated yes. compound that is kind of unstable, actually very unstable. The, the silymarin was actually one of the big reasons why Mr. Reliable took so long oh, for us to formulate. Right. A lot of these isolated compounds are significantly more expensive and a lot more difficult to go into formulas and there's a reason why you know usually there is always a catch with the good stuff and Mm -hmm. that's why you know for us that's why we love the isolated compounds more there's just so much more specific data um and giving us a much better picture on actual benefits and that is actually a big part of our job yeah you know people think chemists as uh, us working at a bench, whipping up these formulas, 
which is true, but there is a big chunk of it that's reading. Research. <laughs> yep. <laughs> reading all these different papers. Yeah. And not all sources are created equal. Yeah. So sometimes you will find a really lovely extract, but you can buy it from 18 different sources. And that's all part of our job to make sure that we deliver the best quality ingredient we can find. And in that research comes sifting through all the gamut of data. Which, uh, <laughs> if you haven't caught the theme yet, is can vary far and wide in between. Um, so we're going to walk through a little bit of different data types and maybe some questions you should be asking um, your brand. Uh, <clears throat> so there's in vitro testing, which is just in a Petri dish, maybe in a, in a test tube. Uh, it's... It can, these tests are very wide in range uh, in terms of what it means. And yeah. usually this is step zero, step 0.5 in, um, in telling the scientists, hey, can this potentially work for us? They're looking for any sort of interaction with the intended cell. So you'll sometimes hear about things like how does it interact with your keratinocytes or your fibroblasts, you know? Um, the reason why this doesn't give a very good picture is because how does that molecule actually reach the cell? Hmm. And that's why this only gives us an initial picture of what, what it might be able to do. Yep. Um, and that's also why we would recommend you be slightly suspicious if an ingredient links really heavily on in vitro research. Yeah. <clears throat> Next is a topic that people don't love to talk about, but it's been yes. a prevalent part of uh, not just this industry, but academia research, which is animal testing. Yeah. And why do we do animal testing is because with all foreign unknown substances as of now, it's still the best mode is testing via animal mouse, usually a rodent model. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that might give us a better picture of how this might apply. And in the cosmetic realm, you're really looking at possible topical solutions mm -hmm. being applied on mice. Um, and yeah, that's just a uh, general, just next step to go about this. Yeah. So one of the key examples like Victoria mentioned is they might, people might shave a mouse and irradiate uh, a certain level of of UV light and apply to something topically to see if it helps with protecting yeah. skin. That's just one example. Yeah. Next, oral ingestion. And this actually can be both in mouse. Mm -hmm. um, actually, we'll start in mouse first. Usually mm -hmm. that involves toxicity. Um, and then after that, then they'll move into clinicals. Yes. Clin or, or sometimes human. not. <laughs> sometimes it, it, it catches wind in the supplements industry, or maybe not even that. Maybe it's just a superfood that has some sort of buzz yeah. um, and that may or may not made its way into, uh, into supplement realms. And next thing you know, they're like, wow, cool. Put that in skincare. <laughs> but we'll say the mode of you taking these actives, whether through eating it or through applying on your skin, and that that can completely change whether or not it works because mode of action yes. is very important. Yes. And then the other, you know, clinical method would be actually to test these botanicals topically. Um, we will say for the millions of extracts out there, most of these don't make it past in vitro. Uh, uh, yeah. They don't even want to spend the money. And sadly, they've probably already caught wind via some great marketing and people have already started looking into it for supplements. Kind of a crazy leap if you think about it. It really is. And time and time again, like, and I can't, 
I understand, but it's also kind of disheartening because yeah. because there is a risk, right? It's yes. a lot of money to run a topical clinical. Yes. So if you're like, okay, my in vitro data is great. Yes. What if I run a topical study and it does jack all? Like, what do I do? Um, and sometimes people don't have enough faith and don't don't take that leap of confidence. So yeah, yeah. Um, so all of that is just, uh, that's part of how we suss out uh, extract data. The one last. Um, last benchmark that we hold very highly but yeah. very few if any ingredient makes to is a topical botanical with a benchmark so you can understand how it performs compared to more established existing ingredients on there and you can check out our blog post on silymarin because it's one of the few extracts that's been benched against uh classics like hydroquinone glycolic acid yeah so on and so forth so again that is a one single bloom type of ingredient uh, seriously so and we're gonna get into a few examples and kind of give you a an idea of the research landscape or lack thereof so you guys have an idea of what that looks like for botanicals moving forward and hopefully that will help you guys kind of suss out some of these botanicals as you are shopping for new skincare um, so i think one of the ones that we see time and time again is mushrooms mm -hmm. especially in that trends list but we see it on this um, ingredient side as well um, you guys might see it in your coffees now um, it's just a I, to me kind of the best example of how botanicals end up in our skincare you know there's a lot of um, interest in it in terms of health benefits supplement benefits and you know this kind of just exploded into the skincare industry I will tell you that as we were, I was looking at it um, for in terms of papers or just any sort of data whatsoever, it's been linked to some really wild claims. <laughs> Anything from pore tightening to antioxidants. Um, it's for some reason, there are reasons for it to be used as an astringent. Huh. Um, and then you'll hear about how like, you know, because it's anti-cancer, that somehow that should be linked to being used in skincare. So mm -hmm. I've even found one claim which was kind of weird and I didn't even try to understand it was modulating body temperature. Yeah, so, you know, huh. clearly the mushroom feels like it can do it all. But when I actually tried looking for any sort of third-party data, there's really nothing. Actually, there's so little data in terms of what and how it actually performs for skin. And this is why we don't talk about mushrooms very much, even though it definitely is in a lot of skincare launches. Yep. Um, per usual, if we miss something, if there's an amazing mushroom skin benefits paper out there that we <laughs> miss, let us know. Please. We could have missed it, but I will say really hard to find it <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right next one yes so i really want to shed light on a particular extract that seems to be very trendy right now <clears throat> sea fennel um the reason why i want to bring it up <laughs> is because in a few popular products on the market in particular Ilya's um eye cream they claim this as a retinal derivative. I believe there's one other brand that kind of called it out as a retinal alternative. Not I think derivative, it might be sorry. Fresh. Yes, maybe. Oh, actually, I think you're right. Yes, yeah. they have. Um, In their Lotus, one of their new Lotus Sea creams. Ah, uh, yes. So sea fennel is an extract that you might see some brands refer to as a retinal alternative. 
What is sea fennel, by the way? Is it a spice? Uh, it'd be a plant. Oh, cool. It's edible. I do not know what it tastes like. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of uh, as an extract, it has a pretty typical profile for uh, extracts that's thought to be beneficial for skin. Okay. So it's linked to being an anti-inflammatory. Okay. Um, there might be wound healing properties. Okay. There's skin lightening benefits, which I think is one of the main um, main claims that people are trying to make around it is okay. that you know it's um, it's been tested on the pathway for melanogenesis to see that oh okay it seems like it does work on maybe tyrosinase and also maybe it has skin lightening benefits okay. I want to add that a lot of it is me kind of trying to do a deep dive on the internet um, I and and that was about all I can find, like more generic data. And some of them, and a lot of these are in the in vitro stages. I couldn't find a human clinical on using C fennel topically. So in terms of being a retinal alternative, this is a bold claim to go head to head with something with so much data. Right, exactly. So this is my main gripe with C fennel. Is <laughs> we have it out for you, C fennel. I don't understand why <laughs> you can call it a retinol alternative. Yeah. I, I think um let's just say I found this amazing paper, which I did. Let's say it was tested for hyperpigmentation and did great. Cool. Maybe it's promising. But I don't understand what if, why it gets to be called a retinal alternative. So just so we're on the same page as chemists, we have two definitions to what counts as a retinal alternative. So, um, so first of all, it's something that does directly interact with your retinal pathway. Um, this is probably still in the retinoid family. A classic example is your HPR or grand active retinoid. It's still a retinoid. It's just considered a newer age more gentle variety thereof. There's less data on it compared to a classic like retinol for yeah. all its benefits. Yeah. But in terms of mechanism, we can still expect it to work roughly the same. Roughly. Roughly. In separate, in more stages, takes more time maybe to reach that pathway. Yes. Yeah. Um, because its pathways are difficult to define, difficult to kind of suss down, uh, to uh, narrow down. Um, the other kind of pass we give retinal alternatives is that it's been benched directly against retinol yes. in any capacity. Yeah. Um, a classic in this field is Bakugil. Yeah. Um, they've done um, some studies that kind of looked at um, DNA assays and gene expressions um, to show that it has similar activities as retinol. It's still a leap, even something like that, it's still a leap of faith for, uh, for you to say, yeah, that is a retinal alternative yeah. because, again, that's considered more in vitro data. Topically, it's hard uh, to compare directly with retinol. Um, and uh, the other way is maybe it's been through a clinical against a retinol. So for all retinol's benefits in terms of wrinkles, hyperpigmentation, some acne, there's an understanding on every in every department of how it performs against a retinol. This is not the case here. I couldn't even <laughs> find a clinical on itself. So I don't understand why C-Fennel is a retinal alternative. And also, it it is a claim we are seeing come up more and more. Yes. Um, and I do understand people's hesitancy with retinol. But I also hope that people are willing to give 
use more classic retinoids a chance because the technology around formulating, around capsulating, around making it more gentle is improving Mm -hmm. and the data still holds, whereas a lot of these just don't have that. Um, And I think that's where I just feel like there's been a lot of marketing around, well, don't fuss with retinol. I'm like, well, if you just are willing to trial it, you know, find your own pace you don't have to use it every night i think that's the thing that i struggle with a lot because there are so many good benefits linked to that and so but this kind of just kind of deters and distracts from the general category yeah of why you would even use a retinol to begin with so anyway that is my main gripe with (laughs) c-phenol and the retinol alternative landscape you can read about it in our tell-all blog uh here (laughs) yeah all right yeah so we're gonna take a break and let gloria get a breather from her retinol uh with and we're gonna break it up with our animal fun fact corner so break 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 it up 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 you thought we got rid of it but it's coming back again all right right this is never going away you guys will always be pained with a random animal fun fact and today's animal fun fact is i guess not really so fun um gloria has sent this into my inbox and how can we not share um it's another canada animal problem (laughs) they got the beaver and now they got super pig yeah so um this article is from the guardian um this is around february 20th so it's fairly recent Mm. turns out wild pigs huge problem it's actually been a problem for decades um and you know, it's estimated that feral pigs, the issue with them is that they're actually quite destructive. Um, they are capable of antagonizing the native flora and fauna. They can kill deer and elk. They're actually known to even pollute waters. Um, and then they've calculated that they cause about $1.5 billion in damage every year. What the B? It's a massive, Oh my right? gosh. Um... And so because of that, it's actually created this new industry, this hog hunting industry, where people are willing to pay thousands of dollars to mow down pigs with their machine guns. Sounds crazy, but that's how big of an issue it is. And what's happening is that these pigs are actually they are starting to kill some of first of all they're destroying crops um they're also destroying a lot of the like kind of um native quail and wild turkeys um and the other thing that makes um this feral pigs kind of scary is that they can carry a lot of disease but right now there's a new threat and it's called the canadian super pig ah, and it so, sounds kind of adorable but it's not <laughs> it's not at all because these things are actually massive um they're also very smart how did super pigs come about it's because they've actually were bred why did anybody do this they were bred with domestic pigs in hopes that it would garner more meat basically um and what happens is they've created a incredibly intelligent massive animal that broke out of their pig pens so a classic case of human looking at gun go i think i shall shoot my foot with this (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. And the thing that makes them terrifying is that they are capable of surviving very cold weather and they can tunnel in up to two meters of snow. Oh my god. It's a bulldozer. Yeah. Um and so what happened is um they weren't able to control the population. Um and they actually the other kind of really annoying thing that humans did here is there not only was it to produce more meat it was also to create more game for canadian hunting reserves and they spread very swiftly uh became they're of course very proficient breeders um and they've actually clocked that a super pig can be weigh over 660 pounds how big they are um and so all in all that is the state of super pigs um, that's made its way into the U.S., which is why it's a big problem for, you know, kind of the north er, um, northern territories. Um, and that's it. That's just the situation that's going on right now. How dare they not honor human-created <laughs> borders and come into the States? <laughs> yep, yep. So that's what's going on with Canada and the U.S. right now. Uh, you thought beavers were a problem. <laughs> Super pigs. 600 pounds worth of problems. You know, it just reminded me of Princess Mononoke. Yes. That's what I think of. Yeah. Pigs are really smart. And yeah. when you have a horde of them, and they tend to be, um, they tend to have structure and community. Yes. So when they work together, they will mess you up. <laughs> yeah. So if you see a wild pig, maybe not of the big kind, still please don't approach it. Yeah. They can still cause you a lot of harm. I, I always saw, I think this was in europe yeah they also have wild boars yes. and you see videos of them like stealing picnic baskets and stuff it, it's kind of a cute nuisance but i can imagine if it's a 600 pound pig yeah. trying to not just steal your breakfast and but, your dog yeah and eat your dog it's horrifying <laughs> yeah exactly and i think the reason why it's on everyone's radar is because swine flu is a really big thing yes. and um pigs are they're known to be great carriers of viruses that will translate to human viruses and so that's why it's just generally big massive problem pun intended so yeah. if you're listening to our humble podcast in these um <laughs> ending times <laughs> of human waning times in humanity thank you <laughs> into the meat with part two and we have to dedicate it to cbd sorry guys but yep there's a reason why i promise given that this episode is all about botanicals we have to check in um probably the hottest botanical ingredient of 2020 and 2021 and 2019 yeah what happened to cbd <sighs> well <laughs> You can read our blog here. We did a deep dive back in the day when it seems like everyone is launching a CBD product. Mm. There are 20 new brands that specialize in CBD. Yes. And we really struggled writing that article back in the day. Try as we might, we couldn't find anything on it. Yep. There was just nothing on, uh, and I should specify, I couldn't, we couldn't find anything on it for skin, for topical application. Yeah. And we promised that we will come back, revisit, to check up on 
you know, if there's any new data that come out, and we will be fair, you know, if CBD turns out to be the skin miracle that some um, some people position to be, we will eat our own words from that blog and update everyone on it. So it is time to check back in. And we should give you context on CBD. The reason why we were and have been so skeptical is because this is the classic example of the train has left the station, but... but sir, sir, you haven't done any clinical studies. Wait, wait, don't leave the station. Sir, wait, there's nothing to talk about yet. And We haven't even built a train tracks yet. Don't leave the station. Yeah, next thing you know, 500 CBD lines came out um, claiming anything from curing your acne to your muscle joint pain. Um, and, and then it kind of just fizzled out. And... The nature of it is that now this is where more and more research starts to trickle in. And I think that's where Gloria and I just really struggle with this general idea of trends. Mm -hmm. And you can see how easy it is for it to carry away. People spending hundreds of millions of dollars to launch these brands only to just not really know what's going to happen. So let's walk through it. Yeah. So and before you peg us as these girls are CBD haters. Uh, it's not just us. I want to read um, a few review articles um, with you guys. The first one I pulled uh, came out in 2021. And the title goes, Safety and Sourcing of Topical Canna Cannabinoids. Many questions, few answers. Their words, not mine. <clears throat> and then uh, through uh, when we were doing research for this article, uh, of course, we um, went to review articles yeah. to see if we missed anything that came out on uh, the pipeline. So this came out in this review article was done May 2022. Yeah. So the title is Systematic Review on Transdermal Topical Cannabidiol Trials, a Reconsidered Way Forward. And the conclusion goes, Users risk generalizing inadequately designed trials for all CBD preparations. New clinical trials are urgently needed. <laughs> Their words, not mine. So, you know. I also love that it follows. They must demonstrate that outcomes are solely from CBT pharmacology are reliable, unbiased, safe, and comparable. I'm like, Whoa, that's an idea. Yeah, sounds like a low bar, but here we are. Um, so, we decided to do some digging. So, da -da -da -da, and there is about one paper I can find on it being used topically. There's some studies here and there on... um on pain management but yeah. because this is a skincare beauty podcast we won't go too much into those just know that some of those data are kind of sparse too yep. um and you heard victoria mention that one of the key skin benefits that cbd was linked to was acne management mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because uh there is a in vitro data on a working uh, it seems to interact directly with sebacytes or your skin cells that produce sebum and overproduction of sebum is uh, one of the core things linked to acne production. Again, this is why topical application and benefits should not be concluded directly from in vitro data because that's how it works. Refer back to episode one where we rant about the process of clinical testing and validating actives. Okay. Ah! <laughs> Next. Um, so then they decided that, okay, maybe we should try it topically. There is an old Pakistani study from about 
2015. When you say old, that's very hurtful. I know. I mean, <laughs> I, I was going to say recent, but then when I was putting, uh, when we were doing research and I did my quick math and my like, man, 2015 seems like the whole lifetime years. ago. You're right. Yeah. Especially for CBD. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they, uh, they use 3% CBD in the extract form yeah. on acne. This was done for a total of 12 weeks. Okay. And they looked at changes in skin erythema mm-hmm. um, every two weeks. And it was observed that uh, even at the two-week mark, erythema decreased. And there is notable gradual reduction of erythema over the 12 weeks. Wait, hold up. I thought this was an acne That's exactly. study. I was like, um, excuse me, Mr. Elba. I have a question. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I was told that this was to reduce acne. What happened there? It seems like people pivoted and was like, ah, yes, but it'd be soothing. I uh, also have one more comment yes. about this is I was curious. Um, so one of the things that Gloria and I struggled with when we were doing our initial resource is sourcing. It looked like they hadn't figured out the proper way to source correctly. The active material sounds like they, people were encountering instability, um, general shelf life of CBD itself. Um, and then so I was like looking into how they prepared it. And it is like, it's not any... <laughs> like robust source they, they are actually crushing plant material and trying to extract cbd out um from their lab so this is like a very um specific scenario and the other thing that i also had a question was it's in 14 percent paraffin oil as well uh which i oh, feel like skin? that and then also the fact that it's for erythema which like Paraffin probably also helps that as yeah. well. As a soothing, yeah. uh, as an occlusive agent that yeah. helps in moisture. So many questions. So anyway, I when we did our research back in yeah. the day, I think it was, I think we wrote that original CBD blog in like 2019 or maybe 2020. Um, we did see we did see some of these studies, and we did mention that acne is one of the areas that they're looking for. Um, I couldn't. Still waiting. I couldn't see. I couldn't find any new articles and new topical yeah. studies that came out from what we were hoping to see at yeah. this point. So bleh. And I think um, again, I, sourcing matters. So let's say you know you hear about your friend's magical CBD cream. Um, try your best to find a way to any sort of clinical testing on that specific formula yep. to give you a sense of if that's beneficial we will say there is more and more um more proprietary information coming out on the industry side of like how this might be able to perform in areas of things like even redness so i think it's very case by case um but for the most part we're still not sold on cbd as of 2023 early 2023 yep so that's about where it is but before we sign off on cbd Mm. there is a new before the cbd train has even uh before we even have any firm conclusion on cbd there is a new CBE on the market, which is CBG, <laughs> also from cannabis. Yeah, and it's uh, most notably we talked about it briefly last year when Travis um, Barker launched his skincare yeah. line. Uh, he uses a lot of CBD, but also CBG in his products, and 
the funny thing is, I'm sure uh, your scatometer is already up. Like, they haven't figured out CBD yet. Why are they looking at CBG? My, like, half-baked theory is, let's just move on. <laughs> yes, it seems like... There's other things we can look at here. Something's doing something. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. And given how much buzz was around CBD, if there isn't anything super exciting coming out from it, a lot of those studies were probably inconclusive. It was probably not sexy enough to share with the world. I couldn't find anything. And you're right. It's time to move on. And CBG might be the one you hear about more this year. Um, and I will say, interesting enough, I already find them more exciting than CBD. Uh, and the reason why is there is a paper out there. It's actually open access. We'll share the link. You can check it out yourself if you would like. There is in vitro data, yay, uh, but also <laughs> some level of clinical assessment already. Mm, yes. Sorry. <laughs> so um, we'll skip the in vitro data. Uh, it's very similar to CBD. It might be anti-inflammatory, might be good for um, acne, yada, 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 um, can be soothing. But then, You sound so enthused. I am trying. I'm trying. I'm trying here, guys. <laughs> Actually, I, I doesn't even sound like I was trying that hard. Um, but let's jump straight to the clinical testing part. Yeah, so... Um... Gloria's paper that she shared, um, they actually did a 20-subject clinical study that used 0.1%, oh my god, a percentage, a percentage of CVG serum, and it compared it with a placebo, placebo <laughs> <laughs> applied topically for two weeks, and this is after doing an SLS-induced irritation, which is really exciting for us. Um and so they did find that the CBG serum did show statistically significant improvement over the placebo for tool, which is actually more on a moisturization claim, and a reduction of the appearance of redness, which is great, honestly. That's more than we can say about CBD. Exactly. So... Um, I did also want to share that CBG is, you know, CBD called cannabidiol, CBG called cannabidural. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. We should have started with what the heck is a CBG. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it, you know, they are looking into CBG, and I'll, I'll kind of share the comparison. So CBD is really looked at more at, in things like antidepressants, antipsychotic, <sighs> anti-inflammatory. Um, and even anti-cancer, but CBG is actually looked at as an analgesic, um, an antibacterial, um, anti-inflammatory as well. So um, what Gloria is saying is there is seems to be a case for it topically. Mm -hmm. It might make more sense, and hopefully we might be able to see more on the CBG side. And I will have you know there are other CB blahs out there. There's like a CBAD. There's a you CB know, alphabet. <laughs> yeah, so you'll probably start hearing about the family um, as the industry continues to explode. But we will be keeping our eyes on this particular CB blah. Yeah, but um, if you're curious and you are an early adopter of skincare and you're looking for a soothing ingredient, um, yeah, you can maybe try to scope out a 0.1% yeah. CBG. I will say, I don't think I've seen a product that's come out with that percentage. Yeah. Uh, the Travis Barker one, I believe, is 50, uh, 150 milligrams of it um, in the whole jar, and I should do a quick math and write about it. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, something more exciting than CBD to keep your eye out for. Um, and that's 
that's it. That's it on the CD Blair landscape. Yeah. And that's really the end of the meat as we um keep our eyes out on the botanical landscape we will be updating our blog um with new and um new botanicals that we find to be promising um but otherwise yeah we hope you enjoyed um this meat and animal fun fact corner of episode two uh if you would like to get in touch with us with your burning skincare question you can find us or write to us at info at chemistconfessions.com. All of our blog content is on our website at chemistconfessions.com. Um, and then you can DM us on our Instagram at chemist.confessions. Uh, and don't forget to use your promo code specifically for podcast users. It is CC Podcast 2023 for 15% off your first order. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for next week's episode <gasps> on what we do not know, but we'll let you know soon. We're going to be so on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enjoy, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.